Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our scripture passage today comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It can be found on page 807 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for your word. We thank you for the great joy, the great hope that we celebrate this season. We pray that you would speak to us through Chris, that it would be your words that would penetrate our hearts, that would cause us to be encouraged, to be challenged, to grow, to mature, that we would be equipped so that we could go out and serve and tell everyone of this good news that your son Jesus has come and died so that we might live. We thank you for this hope. We ask that you would speak now, for we, your servants, listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. During this Advent season, we have been looking at a thrill of hope, as uh, not only in our music that we did uh, in the wonderful Christmas concert, uh, but also in the messages that we have been doing. This morning, we are coming to a text where hope meets disruption. And in many ways, that is really the perfect combination for our experience of the Christmas season, isn't it? Uh, right? Every year we come to Christmas and we have all kinds of ideas, hopes that we have for the weeks that lead up to Christmas Day itself. And yet there are always disruptions. I experienced that this week, at least in a couple of ways. Uh, this week, uh, my wife and I, primarily my wife, uh, fed all of our elder leaders and staff leaders and their spouses And uh, we had a wonderful time, but it involved us going to five warehouse stores here in Colorado Springs to acquire everything necessary. Why? Because we were disrupted in our plan. And you're counting right now, and you're saying, but there are only three giant warehouse stores in Colorado Springs. How did you go to five? We went to two twice. And uh, that's how disruptive it was. Or this week, let's go ahead and get it out of the way. Uh, On Monday morning, uh, I had a grandchild born in Washington, D.C. Very exciting. We had been anticipating, 
with great hope the birth of this child. And so we decided, instead of waiting until Christmas, when, which is when we planned to go meet her, we decided to go ahead and go see her in between feeding 130 people this week on Tuesday. And you know what? Sure enough, my hope was spoiled by a two-hour plane delay sitting in the Denver airport. It's hope and disruption always seem to go together. And that's what happens in our text that we look at this morning. Here we see a tremendous story. We see an announcement of a child that's going to be born who is extraordinary. We see in this text, which we will spend Uh, all of our time on looking at the purpose of this child and looking at what the presence of this child means, and yet it comes amidst disruption for Joseph himself. You see, Joseph is in the middle of a very difficult emotional process. He has found out, we have no idea how, that the young woman that he is engaged to is with child. Now, to Joseph, who is uh, not unlike modern men, pregnancy only happened one way. In his mind, there's just one way that Mary could be with child, and that was that she had been unfaithful to their betrothal. That even though she was spending that year of betrothal with her own family, that somehow something terrible and sinful had happened, and he was torn. Because he was a righteous man. That's how you can interpret uh, that expression that he was a just man. In other words, he took the law of God seriously, but he was also a merciful man. And he didn't want to do any harm to this young woman that he cared about. There was a significant disruption in his life at this moment. But God comes in the presence of an angel and there announces that he should not be afraid to take Mary as his wife. Why? Because of the purpose and the presence that this child will bring. Let's look at those one at a time. First of all, the purpose of this child. We see it in the name that the angel instructs Joseph to name the child. Notice what he says. He says uh, that you will name him Jesus, right? You will name him Jesus. Why? Verse 21. For he will save his people from their sins. This is the purpose statement for Jesus. Now, I know when we come to Christmas, even in a Presbyterian church, talking about sin probably doesn't seem like it should be in the top 10 in terms of the things that we talk about. But if we don't talk about the subject of sin, then we have no idea why Christmas exists. We have no idea what the purpose of this whole affair is. See, here the angel tells Joseph that this child is coming and he has a purpose and his name is going to be a pointer to it. Now this name Jesus is a Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. The Lord saves. And so it was probably not a very uncommon name. We actually see there are other Jesuses even in the New Testament. Because, of course, you know, people just like now would have wanted to name their child this strong and promising name. I remember when my daughter went to a Christian college, I swear the first year that she was there, every single male she met was named Josh or Joshua. 
Why? Because it's a, great, it's a great name. And if your name happens to be Josh or Joshua, I'm not saying you're not special. I'm sure you are. And in a good way, it's just that your name is kind of common among Christians. And so Jesus here had this name that probably wasn't that unusual, but the angel is giving a deeper and more profound meaning to this name. He says, yes, the Lord saves But he said, this child will be the one through whom he saves. He will be the one who saves God's people from their sin. This really reminds us of Psalm 130. In Psalm 130, we see a great promise of God's salvation. Let's uh, read some of that uh, together. From Psalm 130, beginning in verse 1, the psalm says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the, voice, uh, to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And then in verse 7, it says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all her iniquities." You see, the people of God always had a hope that if they were going to be rescued from their sin, it had to be the Lord who would do it. Here in this announcement of the angel to Joseph, the angel is saying, this child is how the Lord will do it. This is how he will save people from their sins. Now, I'm very thankful for an old uh, dead theologian pastor named J.C. Ryle who uh, beautifully, in a, in, a, in a very systematic way, he, he sort of ruminated just a little bit on exactly what it means to save from sins. And so let's, let's meditate on that. First of all, to save from sins means to save from the consequence of sins. You see, the people of Israel, they understood this. Because they were the people of God, they knew that by rebelling against God, by rejecting what he had told them to do, that there were consequences. They had suffered those consequences throughout their history. Sometimes it came in the form of a famine or a plague, but more lately it had come through political and military domination. First it was the Assyrians who took over the northern kingdom of Israel, and then it was the Babylonians who took over the southern kingdom of Israel, and, now, and then it was the Greeks, and now it's the Romans. And so as they were constantly reminded by the presence of centurions all around them that they were suffering the consequence of their rebellion and rejection against God. So this child, Jesus, who the angel announces to Joseph, he will deliver from the consequence of sin. That means that people will be liberated in a demonstrable way. But secondly, we know that when God saves people from sin, He saves them from the guilt of sin. The guilt of sin. Now, we've been talking about that a fair amount as we've been looking at the book of Galatians, but the guilt of sin is that knowledge that we have in ourselves that we are far from perfect. Now, I know that around Christmas time, we may dress perfect, we may act perfect, uh, more or less, but inside, we all know we're not perfect. Does anybody, is anybody here perfect? I'm just checking in case there is one. No, thank you. The children will lead us, right? See, even the little one back there knows 
that they're not perfect, and we know that. As a matter of fact, we're more keenly aware of it than anyone. Jesus comes to be God's salvation for sin because we have the guilt of sin. And it's not just that we feel guilty, we actually are guilty. That is, before a holy God, before a God who has said, here is your purpose in life to reflect my glory in your words, your thoughts, and your deeds. We know that we don't just feel guilty, we are guilty. But Jesus comes to deliver us from the guilt of our sin. Thirdly, he delivers us from the dominion of sin or the power of sin. You see, without Jesus, without this one who would save his people from their sins, we would still have no freedom in this life. But we would still be, as the Bible says, enslaved to sin. That means that we don't have any ability to not sin in every situation. Now, I know that that is, uh, that is difficult for us to think of because you think, well, well I mean, surely there are some things I do okay. You know, I mean, I do them pretty well. I mean, I'm, I'm at least 95% of the way there. But really, if we consider our thoughts, words, and de- deeds, we realize that in and of our own strength, that we have no power over sin at all in our lives. But Jesus comes to actually deliver us from the power of sin so that we might have some freedom from it. Paul says that I have died to sin. How is that? It's through Jesus, the one who came to save us from the consequences, from the guilt, and from the power, dominion of sin. But fourthly, and here is where our hope comes in this Christmas. Because Jesus has come, because the child has been born, we one day will be delivered from the existence of sin. Isn't that mind-numbing? I mean, still mind-numbing to me. But one day, this same Jesus, this Jesus that was prophesied that would come, this same Jesus will come again, and He will inaugurate the consummation of the kingdom of God in its fullness. And in that day, we will not be able to sin. I can't wait. Now, I'll be honest, I really can't wait until you can't sin, because your sin is incredibly inconvenient to me, right? Right? Don't you? I mean, that's secretly what we actually think. I can't wait to be in heaven so I don't have to put up with all these sinners, right? But the joy is you won't be one of those sinners anymore. And isn't that a great hope that one day, And the consummation of all things, we will actually be delivered not just from the consequence or the guilt or the power, but the existence of sin. So, this Christmas, as you're singing the Christmas carols, as you have it on the Spotify playlist in your home, I want you to remember, I can't wait to be done with sin. Because Jesus, His name says it, He has come to deliver his people from their sins. We actually read uh, a passage that reiterates that earlier in this service. Uh, Lee, in his assurance of pardon, read from John 3, 16 and 17. Let me read verse 17 again. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Not condemnation, 
but salvation. Now, I know that there are some people, it's Christmas season, and there's some people who come to church around Christmas season because a family member drug you uh, into church or Perhaps you felt some sense of obligation that maybe you should go to church at some time. You figured the music would be pretty decent this time of year. And here you are. And you're sitting here and, and you're thinking, uh, you know, the thing I don't like about these churches is because they end up talking about sin. And they're so judgmental. But do you understand we talk about sin so that you can be liberated from it? We talk about sin because we want it to stop having the power over you that it does We talk about sin because we have a Savior who saves us from sin. And every Christmas, we need to remember the invitation. It's not only for those who already know Jesus and are in relationship with Him, but that invitation is there for every single person who still has Him at arm's length, who still hasn't decided whether or not they will trust in Him. Trust in Him. Put your trust in Him. Believe in Him. And begin to have victory over sin. That is what Christmas is about. That is the purpose of Christmas. But secondly, I want us to look at the presence of Christmas. Notice uh, what else uh, this angel tells to Joseph. He says, uh, he he will save his people from the sins. In verse 22, Matthew tells us, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive... And bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the presence of God. Now here, the writer Matthew is pulling together different strands. He's pulling together the words of the angel to Joseph, which is that this child is from the Holy Spirit, and you should call him Jesus because he will save his people from his sin. And he says this is the fulfillment of a word way back in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 7. 700 years before this angel came and spoke to Joseph, uh, God through the prophet Isaiah had uttered these words, the virgin shall be with child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now if you go back, to Isaiah chapter 7, which we were all around the last couple weeks in Isaiah 11 and Isaiah chapter 9, you'll find out that this child that is talked about had an immediate fulfillment in the child of Isaiah and an unnamed prophetess who had a very long and complicated name. I'm going to, just for fun, I'm going to remind you what the child ended up being named because it's a name that if you're thinking about a name for children, you should not choose. Uh, I didn't have it marked, so it takes me a second. I have had somebody say, you find those Bible verses so quick, it's because I put little tabs in my Bible so that I can. So when I go off script like this, we're all hopeless, right? Right. And uh, so this child who uh, was born is, uh, let me, I'm looking for his name right now. It's a great one, which I have completely lost altogether. Uh, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. There you go. If you're looking for a name that no one else will have in your preschool class, Meher Shahal Hashbaz. And you say, what in the world does that mean? Uh, It means the spoil speeds and the prey hastens. 
And so this child, the child that is talked about in that prophecy, the virgin shall give birth and uh, you shall say, his, it will be Emmanuel, you know, which means God with us, which we, Matthew interprets for us. There was a child who was born. And the reason why his name wasn't Emmanuel, but this very long and complicated name, because it was a pointer that even though the Assyrians were invading and were going to completely take over the northern kingdom, that God was still with the people of God. And that child being born was, was a way of confirming to the king of Judah that God has not abandoned you, but he's still with you. And this child is a pointer to the reality that God is with us. But you see here, Matthew, and Matthew chapter 1, understands that, that there was a deeper truth there in that prophecy that the virgin would be with child and give birth and you would call that child, Emmanuel. He understood that it was pointing to something more magnificent than, the, than just the child of Isaiah and some prophetess, but it was a child who would actually be God with us. And that is so unbelievable. Here in this accounting of this story, we see that the Angel tells Joseph, don't be afraid to take her because what is inside of Mary came from the Holy Spirit. Like I said already, Joseph knew how the birds and the bees operated. And he knew there was just one way for a child to be in the womb of Mary. Well, at least he knew that until the angel told him that God had done something extraordinary. Yes, there is only one way unless... The Lord intervenes, and the angel says that's exactly what happened. Now, Matthew is very discreet. He simply says it's the Holy Spirit who did it. Now, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God the Father. The Holy Spirit put God the Son in the womb of the Virgin Mary. That is a beautiful Trinitarian reality, isn't it? But what he's saying is this child is God with us more than just a pointer to the presence in general of God among his people, but it is God actually coming to hang out with us. I love the way the Apostle John says it in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later he says, the Word came and tabernacled here among us. He took on flesh. This is what the angel is saying. God is coming to your house. He is coming to your neighborhood. He is coming to your world. God with us. Now, what does that tell you? Let's connect just for a second. The purpose that the angel announces that Jesus is coming to save people from their sins and this idea about his corporeal, his physical presence among the people. What that means is the only way for you and I to have that sin problem taken care of is if God comes and does it himself. And that is the beauty of Christmas. That God comes to be with us, not as a king to be exalted, not as a, a rock star, you know, to be followed, but he comes as a child to suffer. God comes to be with us in order to suffer, to save us from our sin. Now, I don't know about you, but 
in my life, Christmas is disruptive, disrupted oftentimes, not just from the sort of circumstantial situation uh, that tends to come around the season, but Christmas is disrupted because of what's going on inside of my heart, what's going on inside of my head. And I will tell you that Christmas, for many, if not all of us, can not only be a joyful season, but a very lonely season. It can be a time where you feel all by yourself. For some people sitting in this room, this Christmas is the first Christmas that you are all by yourself. Perhaps because someone you cared about left, or just grew up, or left the nest, or because they have gone to be with Jesus. And Christmas is a time of absence rather than a time of presence. And it's even in the real emotion of loss and isolation that we need to remember that the promise of Christmas is the presence of God. And that even when we experientially feel all alone, that we are not alone. But that God has come to be with us. I stress that. I struggle with this. I don't know whether you do. I can be in a crowd of people and feel all alone. And it's why I need to remember the presence of God in Emmanuel. I am not alone. But God has come in Jesus Christ. And He is with me in my pain, in my sorrow, in my difficulty, and in my joys, and in all of the excitement. He is with me. Do you know how important this is to Matthew, the writer? That he introduces us to this more profound understanding of that passage in Isaiah here in chapter 1 of Matthew. But then at the end of Matthew, uh, this is literally the last word that Matthew gives us in his gospel. It's in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, which begins with teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And this is literally the last sentence of the book. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I know we usually cover that passage when we're looking at Matthew 28 and we're talking about the Great Commission, the mission that God has given to his followers. But I want you to hear it as Matthew's last word to you. No matter where you go or what you do or how long you live, Jesus is promising you, I will always be Emmanuel to you. I will always be with you. Isn't that a good last word? Isn't that a word that we need even in the happy times, but especially in the difficult times, that God is with us? So these are the two things. The purpose of Christmas and the presence of Christmas, but Remember, I said there is a disruption to Christmas. And Dr. Sinclair Ferguson and Dr. Tim Keller, two guys that I love to listen to uh, and see what they have pulled out of different passages, both point out beautifully that in this story, while all of this is glorious and grand, and while we're excited about Jesus' purpose and his presence, it totally messed Joseph's life up, right? Right? I mean, Joseph was sitting there contemplating, how do I get out of this situation and save face 
and not destroy Mary? You know, how do I act in a righteous way and in a merciful way? And he is contemplating that. He's struggling over it. And the angel comes and effectively, I'm paraphrasing, says, Joseph, suck it up, buttercup. Your life, didn't you read that? That's in the, uh, that must be in the new Christ version of the New Testament. But effectively what he's saying, notice he says, do not be afraid to take her as your wife. Why does he have to say, don't be afraid to take her as your wife? Because taking Mary as his wife is basically embracing a life of pain for Joseph. Because let me tell you, if you think people talk now, if you think social media is bad about spreading scandal and rumor, just live in a small town that all shares the same religious code. Oh, somebody gets pregnant before they were supposed to get pregnant because folks, I know you find this shocking, but people in the first century could add, hmm, Joseph and Mary, you know, ended their betrothal and actually became married in May, and Mary had a baby in, let's say, December, just because we don't want to mess with you here at Christmas time. Let's see, they got married in May, and they... Baby came in December. That's six and a half months. They could do the math. And so by embracing the word of this angel, Joseph was embracing a disruption that would last his whole life. Do you know that even when Jesus was still uh, preaching and teaching that people would suggest that he was an illegitimate child? People all the way down in Jerusalem Why would they do that? Because news travels fast. And so Joseph, his whole life, had to deal with this. That there was a cost to believing that God had a purpose to save people from their sins, and it would happen through his presence and this little one named Jesus. And do you know there's still a cost to following Jesus today? I know we don't want to think about it at Christmas time. This is the, you know, smile big, happy time. But following Jesus still has a cost. It will disrupt your life. It will change its course and trajectory, just like it did for Joseph. I think we're more keenly aware of that these days than maybe we've been for a decade or more. That really following Jesus and looking to Him as a salvation from your sin and the presence constantly of God in your life will mean there will be disruption in your life in this world. Here's what the bald man has to say. It is worth it. It is worth it. Joseph knew it was worth it. This angel had given him the best news he had ever heard that God was coming to save his people from their sins by coming to live among them What disruption is greater than the value of what God was doing through this child Jesus? You know, we still do that math today. There is no disruption, no difficulty, no uh, scuttlebutt, no rumor mill that is more intimidating than the joy of knowing your sins are forgiven and that God is with you in Jesus Christ this Christmas May you have a sober joy as you count that cost 
and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for how kind and good you are to us. Lord, we're thankful that in your word, you do not hide the complicated way that your story began, Lord Jesus. But it's there for us to see because we live in a complicated world. And we need to know that you, Lord Jesus, are more than worth the difficulties and disruptions that following you will bring. We pray Lord, that we will rejoice that you have saved us from our sins, that we will be gladdened even in our sorrow, that you will never leave us, for you are God with us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.